Let's jump right in. As we are now officially in 2023, I always try to figure out how many weeks it takes me to write the correct date. Does anybody else like write the wrong check or anything like that? I do it for weeks. Last year it was July. July was the last one that I wrote 2021. I don't know why. So it's messed up. Well, we're going to get into this. Now, we're going to shift, begin to shift today into the last segment, I guess, if you will, of this uh, series that we've been in. And um, it, it's been eye-opening for me as, as we've got into this. It's just some of the feedback that I've gotten from people and the questions that people have asked is that this concept, while we all kind of know it, we don't live it. And it's like we all know the concept that we're in a world that we're not part of. In fact, we've, we've used that term, I mean, for the better part of my life, we're in the world, we're not of the world type. We've used that, but it never became a reality. Like, what does that even mean? And breaking that stuff down. And when we begin to get into this, as we start to see our focus has been off, because our focus is all centered around what you see in front of you in the mirror every day. It's about what you look like and how you feel in the moment. And I don't know if you know this, but you may be surprised to hear this, your feelings will lie to you. In fact, it was really interesting talking to Terry on the phone the other time about flights and stuff and how a pilot uses their navigation. And if they lose navigation in a place they can't see like a cloud or something, Neil, I think we got a little bit of feedback going on. I don't know if you're hearing it. Uh, but when you lose that navigation, like, and you're in this cloud, you may not know where you're going or you may be going down and think you're going up and all of that. Now, I can't wrap my head around that. But, you know, Harry was telling me that. Didn't you say that when you were, you know, blindfold, they blindfold you in flight school, okay? Which is interesting to me. But, like, your natural tendencies go down and to the right. Is that, is that correct? But it... Right. Can you imagine... Oh, I can't imagine either, because I can't put myself in a situation of where what I'm seeing in front of me is not reality, or what I'm feeling is not reality, but the truth is, is that that's the world we live in. What we feel each and every day is not reality. What the reality is, is what Scripture says. It's what Jesus has done. It's what the Father has laid out for us. And that's the part that we have to begin to get to. So let's start in John chapter 17, verse 13. It says, but now I come to you. And these things I speak to you, they're speaking the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that I, they also may be sanctified by the truth. And it's interesting as you read this, is Jesus is praying this to the Father. He's abundantly clear. This is not a confusing passage. But this concept of being in a world that we are not of, it makes sense to a Jew of this time. Because their ancestry were being a part of a world that they were not from. I mean, at one point, their, their people were in Egypt. It was a land that they were in, but they were not from there. They were not part of the culture. Another time they're in Babylon and they've been exiled multiple times. Like this is something that they're familiar with. But for you and I, we don't, we don't get it. Because most of us were born here, grew up here. There was no acclimation period to kind of figure out how America ticks or the area that you live works or anything like that. Because we're from here. We can't function mentally about understanding how this works that we're in some place but we're not of it. Until you go somewhere else. And then you are a fish out of water. 
You know, like words you use mean different things in different parts of the world. You can't use the same lingo. Right, Yoli? Yoli knows. But I, and I know I've told you guys this, but I mean, the term raining cats and dogs somewhere, somebody's going to look up. They're going to look up. Somewhere you're going to yell duck and someone's looking for the animal. Uh, you think about that and that's, that we laugh about it, but, but in this world, the words that we use and the actions we take have to be grounded in Scripture. We can't act any other way. We can't move any other way. And there's a way that God has ordained for us to do this. Now, this all started in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. It says, when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And he take this, divided among yourselves. For I say, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave them, said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of, of me. And what I've told you is that what Jesus was so fervently excited about is now man and God were going to have peace. This was a peace meal between God and between man. And now, suddenly, we're in a position that no other human being had had since the time of Adam. At that point, they had peace with God. They had this functional relationship with God. How they could interact with God. Since that time, you didn't do that. You had certain people that would interact on your behalf, but there was stipulation. There were strings attached. There were certain things that had to be done and had to be done frequently. And it wasn't to everybody. It was to the Jews. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, this peace and this access is such a new concept. The Roman readers at this time would not have understood it. What access did a Jew have to God? They had access to the place of God, but they didn't have access to God. One man had access to God. It was the high priest. That was it. He was the only one that had access to God. And so as we began to get into this, and again, I'm recapping just to get back on track here. As we began to look at these covenants, there were several different covenants throughout Scripture. We looked at these few here as the primary ones, and I'm not going to go into all the detail. But when it talks about the old covenant, it's a reference to the Mosaic covenant. That covenant was a bilateral covenant, which means that both parties had a part to play, had to do their part. If man did his part, God would do his part. Okay? If man didn't do his part, guess what? God still did his part. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. The Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the covenant that Abraham would have offspring and the whole world would be blessed through him was guaranteed by God. had nothing to do with Abraham. Even when Abraham tried to take things into his own hands and make a son of promise, that wasn't the one. And so we see all of these, that these different covenants, and we see these people acting in these different covenants, and yet we know that you and I have a better covenant. This new covenant is based on better promises, but yet they were extremely confident in that covenant. They were confident when God prophesied something, when He said something, spoke through His prophets, that He was going to do it. They were confident when they read the words and the scrolls of Isaiah and the words of Moses and all the other writers that whatever God said He was going to do, He would do. This was both good and bad. Because God did say that if you go and worship other gods, I will bring judgment upon you. And He did. 
He did say that if you don't keep these land covenants, it's going to be costly. And it was. It got them driven out. In Psalm 89, verse 34, it says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. You see, those covenants were promises of God. There has never been a covenant that God has made, either on behalf of mankind or with mankind, that He did not fulfill His end. Not one. There is no example of that. Which should tell us something, being in the new covenant. We began to look at the change that took place in the new covenant. And it was really centered around one key criteria. That was the priesthood. It was the role of the high priest. As you guys know that the high priest had to come from the line of Aaron. Any Levite was a priest. But only of the lineage of Aaron would they be qualified to be the high priest. This high priest was chosen by God. They'd cast lots or whatever they would do. And then at that time that they would become the high priest. Now I've got some pictures here showing you this role. We talked about here. This is the tabernacle. Okay? This was the first thing that Moses had saw up on the mountain. And God said, I want you to build it just like after you saw it. So they came in here, they got the eastern gate, they would enter in, they got the bronze altar, where they'd make the sacrifice, the bronze laver where they would do the washings, and then they would enter in. Only the priesthood entered in here. Not just anybody, not everybody could go in here. It was the priesthood. And so you got the table of showbread, the menorah, and the altar of incense. And they went about every single day. They would make the sacrifices, they would go in there, they would change out this bread, they would re-put uh, oil back into those, those lights, and they would uh, uh, keep burning the incense every single day. But one day a year, the high priest, where he would step into his most important role as an intermediary between him and for the nation of Israel and God, he would go in there and he would make a sacrifice for the nation. And he would go, and you can go to the next photo. He would come in here, and this is the temple. Same thing worked in the temple, just bigger, okay? He would come in here, he would take two goats, one being Azazel, the scapegoat. He would release that one. He would sacrifice the other one. He would take the blood, and he would go, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. He would enter into the one time of year he could go into the holiest of holy, the holy place. He would take the incense. He would have the blood. He would go through this curtain. Remember, the curtain was the width of a man's hand. It was very big. It was very tall. It was very heavy. They say that there was no opening to it, which would be believable. And so, therefore, somehow, whether it was supernatural or maybe there was a zipper, I don't know. But he would enter in through here, okay? And he would go into this place, and here he would burn the incense. And he would do this one time for the nation of Israel. And I don't think we appreciate how important this role was, because we don't get it. Because you and I have never had an intermediary, at least not an earthly one that we're aware of. Because what he would have to do is go and get every part of this right. He was acting on behalf of the nation of Israel. That's a big task. He is representing Israel to God. He is cleansing this, ceremonially speaking. This here was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. This was the throne of God. And he would enter into that presence and if he didn't get it right, he would die. And now the nation's sins are not atoned for. There's no example of this happening that I'm aware of in Scripture. But it, it was real. And then we see the shift where Jesus becomes our high priest. And it wasn't after the order of uh, Aaron. It was after Melchizedek. And as we saw in the person of Melchizedek that he was both king and he was priest. He was king over Salem. And when Abraham came back from war, he went and paid him a tenth, paid him a tithe. He brought, uh, Melchizedek brought bread and wine. And there is little given about him in the Old Testament. There's not a lot of detail about the man's life. We get more details from the book of Hebrews than we do anywhere else. 
but it said that the one who comes will be after the order of Melchizedek. Then we see Jesus step into that role. And as I told you that I believe the shift takes place when he was baptized by John the Baptist. I'm not going to go into all of that again today, but if you have questions, please ask me anytime. But as he steps into this high priestly role, it had nothing to do with the law. It has nothing to do with the temple. It has nothing to do with the sacrifices. He has now become, that's Passover lamb, on behalf of us as the offer and offering. He trumped death by being raised from the dead. And now he is acting as the intermediary for us. Following the same patterns, but with different rules and regulations to get to that point. And the question is, is after we get through all of this and we're starting to piece all of this together. Because remember, the Bible is very much like a mosaic. You get a piece here, a piece here, but when you step back and you get a great understanding of the overall nature of the Scripture and how God is laid out in it, you see the picture start to come to life. And so our role here changed because no longer do we go to a man, no longer do we have to sacrifice. Do you realize that you and I are not Jewish? I mean, maybe you are, I'm not. That if a Gentile came into the Jewish world, they would begin to make sacrifices. You guys, you get that? They would bring the same sacrifice. They'd be a proselyte Jew. They would come in. It's how they had to come to God. What sacrifice do we make? We don't. It's been made. This is the Jesus has done it aspect. But this leaves us in a unique place. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Coming to him. As to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. And to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. You know, a royal priesthood didn't exist. Because the royal line and the priestly line were not the same. There wasn't a lot of overlap. A holy nation, which means what? A nation set apart. His own special people. And why? That you proclaim the praises of Him. You see, that's the part that we got to understand, is that the sacrifice we bring now is a sacrifice of praise. The work's been done. There's been this change that takes place when we enter into this new covenant. But we've got to understand what this new covenant is. There is no longer a separation between man and God. How do we know? We see it played out in Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, Behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earthquake and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints had fallen asleep, were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. This veil show, showcased the primary function that only the high priest could fulfill in that old covenant. It was his performance, if you will. It separated the average from the special. 
It was where the presence of God was. And this uniquely chosen man, chosen by God, with a whole bunch of strings attached to how you even become qualified, had to go into all of these different things and these different roles. I mean, look at this picture. Like, he'd have to wear special clothes. He'd have to go through special ceremonies and washings and sacrifices and all of that. And then suddenly, the veil gets torn. And guess what? He's out of the job. He's fired. You see, the book of Hebrews is really talking about this, like the days are coming, like where these sacrifices are going to end, because they were still going on after the time of Christ. But how could they? The presence of God wasn't there. You see, that was his role. His priestly role is to, for the nation, step into that presence and make atonement. It wasn't just the sacrifice, guys. Think about this. If he sacrificed the animal, was that enough? No, it wasn't. If he washed and mikvahed after, was that enough? No. If he just simply walked through those doors, or through that, that, that veil with the incense, was that enough? No, he had to bring the blood. The blood always had to be applied. His only job is now gone. I shouldn't say only job. Most significant job. His role in the commandments was right there. So what does that leave us? If that's done, and Jesus steps into this priestly role of Melchizedek that has nothing to do with lineage, again, set apart by God, chosen by God, and we're in this new covenant that we completely take for granted because we don't understand His principles and His precepts, there are parts of it that, again, what we know and what we know aren't the same thing. Like, intellectually, we know that you and I are set apart by God. That we are in right standing with God. And we know in this new covenant, just like any other covenant, that whatever God's promises are in it, He will keep them. But yet, we don't walk in this confidence. We would struggle to stand there in front of Nebuchadnezzar and say, if you throw us in, God will save us. But if you don't, no, we'll never bow. We would struggle to say as a young man, that thing, that giant, he's come against the armies of the living God. God will take him out. We would struggle with that. To step up and actually put action to our words. And the reason for that is we have never faced a situation in our lives where we've had to live consistently with those, those things. In other words, the promises of the covenant. The reason they were confident is they knew what the covenant had said. And they had already watched God fulfill His promises multiple times. But when it comes to the new covenant and the place that we grew up in, we tend to take a lot of things for granted. Because as bad as it may get here at times, we've never truly faced hardship. We've never truly faced starvation. We've never truly faced eternity from persecution so now we've got to get this understanding of what this promise was and how you and I interact with this Old Testament principle going forward in this new covenant let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 I'm introducing these ideas today they're all ideas you know 
There is not a verse that I'm going to read today that you have not read umpteen times, I promise you. But we've got to get this understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says to flee sexual immorality. That's good advice. Every sin that a man does, not, does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now that's an interesting statement. Because remember something, he just said a, a number of things. But in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. But many times he would lift. It was temporary. He would come upon a person, they would do whatever, and he would lift. But he was never in a person. There's no example of that that I can think of. Okay? Might be. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, that was the case. Because where was the presence of God? It was in the temple or the tabernacle. It was called the Shekinah glory. Let me show you these photos. You see, we see these photos and we see this fire by night aspect. The cloud by day, fire by night. But this was out of the temple. Now, whether it looked like this exactly or not, we don't know because they did not have Polaroids back then. Okay? So this is an artist's rendition. What we do know, based off descriptions, is that inside the Holy of Holies was the presence of God. It was called the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah, if you want to try to pronounce it very Hebrew-y, okay? We say Shekinah. If you go to the next photo, you see, this is in the temple. And we, again, not knowing exactly what it looked like, but you would assume light is exuding. The reason you assume that is because with great detail that into the description of how they were to build it, which would trap in darkness and block out light. The Shekinah glory was in the temple. It was in the Holy of Holies that only one man could get to. But something changed with this new covenant. What changed? We have peace with God. We have access with God. Once that veil torn, the presence of God was no longer there. Where is the presence of God now? interactive part here it's inside of us what's it say verse 19 do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who is in you who's in you the holy spirit whom you have from god and you are not your own do you not know that's a fair question do we walk around as if we are filled with the power of god we don't intellectually we know it but we don't walk in this earth as if we are carrying the presence and power of God. Where's he at? Who said it? I'm not making this up. Look at another one, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Now this is interesting, because he just called it a mystery. In other words, for everybody that had come before, they didn't get this. From ages and generations, the mystery. But now it's been revealed to his saints. Who are his saints? His followers. To them, verse 27, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
What's the mystery? Wait a minute. You're telling me. Can you imagine like being your average Jew in the old covenant time? Be like, hey, listen, y'all. The day's coming where God's going to be in you. You know what they would probably say? Please no. Do you know why? I am unclean. Uncleanness in the presence of God, instant death. This is unfathomable. It was a mystery. They were not expecting the day would come where Christ, Messiah, is in us. So where is He? He's in us. That means when you go to the grocery store, where is He? That means when you're getting grumpy in traffic, where is He? He's yelling at them with you. He gets it. He understands. Go to Romans chapter 8. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You notice the if. The if is important, because it means you may not be. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Well, this is interesting. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. It means you weren't born with it. It means at one point or another, there was a time where you didn't have it, and you may have it now. <clears throat> if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you're not His. If Christ is in you, okay, if, so where would He be? He'd be in us. If He is in you, the body is dead because of sin. It's going to die. But the Spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. Whose righteousness? It's His righteousness, right? You didn't, you didn't earn it. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if He does, He who raised Christ from the dead, which was who? God. I mean, will give life to your mortal bodies. Are we walking around full of life? I mean, would everybody in here agree that the Spirit of God lives in us? How we doing? Are we living this out? Not. He'll give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Where's the Holy Spirit? Is this a guarantee? I mean, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ, or raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Ephesians chapter 3. Anybody hear any verses they haven't read before, at least umpteen times? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with the might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints that is in the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be fulfilled with all the fullness of God. Where would Christ dwell? In your heart. The idea of asking Jesus into your heart, not unbiblical. He's not looking at blood passing by. Okay? It is strengthened with the might through His Spirit where? In the inner man. Where is Christ? It's in the inner man. You guys getting this? This is the shift that has taken place. The high priesthood has changed. The presence of God 
has changed. The locality is no longer the same. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where's Christ? Living in me. Not dying in me. Living in me. This means everywhere we go, do we take the presence of God with us. Before to get to the presence of God, where did you go? There was an address. Now the presence of God moves with us everywhere that we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves our bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is... The, uh, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. What treasure? This Christ that is talking about. In earthen vessels. What do you think he's referring to? You're looking at it. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus manifested. You see, these are earthen vessels that house this treasure that is the power of God the spirit of Christ dwelling in us the excellent of the power may be of God and not of us it's to him but here's the problem and this is the reason that we don't walk in this reality this is part of the reason that you will see more supernatural miraculous things take place overseas than you will right here at home you want to know what it is because in verse 8 it says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. No, we're not. We are perplexed, but not as despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There is not a time where any of us who are living has faced that. we face some problems. We've not faced that. We're not faced with eternity because of our beliefs. Day in and day out. You wake up one morning with a headache, take a Tylenol. You get the flu, you go to the doctor, you do whatever. We have all of these options. And options become obstacles to the power of God because we're not leaning on the promises of this new covenant because we don't have to. You guys get that? You see, the priesthood changed. The presence of God changed location. There are people around the world. Jim and I were talking about this guy down in Africa named Epaphras. And uh, 
he's got this supernatural ministry. He sees healings all the time down there. You know what happens when somebody gets sick? They go to a papyrus. There's a guy trying to give him land to build a healing school, which he needs some funding in order to get this done. Because this guy had gone to every doctor he could find, got no better, am I telling this correctly? And went to a papyrus, a papyrus prayed for him, he was healed. What was it up? I don't even remember. You remember either? Neither one of us can ask him because we can't understand what he says on the phone. We'll have to email him and find out. But the man was so moved because of what God had done for him that he's now wanting to give him this land, which he can't just give it all. There's a whole story behind that. But anyway, give him this land because they need a healing center. Think about that. There was a time that that happened in this country. There was a time where there were healing rooms where people went to. They were in Tulsa. They were in Spokane, Washington. Topeka, Kansas. If the power of God can move in Topeka, it can move anywhere. I mean, think about this. But the reality of it is, we don't walk around like we're full of the presence of God. Could you imagine, if you go to the temple ground today, there's an awe when you walk there. There's just this, this thought of like what was there at one point. You'll see all the people praying. I've never been there. I'm telling you other people's story. And this sense of, awe and and this holiness to it like almost take your shoes off type of thing as you're seeing this you're thinking man all the events that happened right here you're seeing what i've read about and i'm seeing where they took place and it's like this awe and it was all centered around the presence of god and the temple where the presence of god was where's the awe where's the mindset so what does this mean for us? How do we do it? What has He given us? What has He equipped us with? See, this is where we're going to go. Because, you know, Jim and I were talking a little bit this morning. Jim always gets here early to bring the donuts. Good man. And uh, we're just talking about just like, what does this next year look for us? And I really believe, and I believe for some time this has gone on, that God is wanting to move supernaturally. And there's been times He's tried to shake his people. And this isn't just here, okay? But it is here too. Shake us out of our comfortness. There's a reason that the church thrives under persecution and grows unlike any other. He's been trying to shake us to get us to think right, to walk in this fullness. When we brought Chad in, what did Chad talk about? Who we are in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're going to see more of that. We've got to have the right mindset. I'm not this whole, you know, New Year's resolution guy because I can break promises any other time of the year too, okay? But as I was, you know, as I was praying and going into this year, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do some of the same. I'm going to spend some time fasting and praying in the month of January. Now, every month I spend time fasting and praying, don't misunderstand me, but very specifically here. Because we are going into a tumultuous time in our country. You don't have to, you know, live under a rock to figure this out, okay? we got an election that's coming up again. And the last election brought a lot of heat onto the church. And the reason it brought a lot of heat onto the church is there were a lot of guys out there saying, Thus saith the Lord when the Lord had not spoken. And that's a problem. It's a major problem. And so what I did is I ordered a bunch of books. I know you guys love reading. But I've got 20 copies of this book back there. And I am encourage you to take one. 
Um, take one to the household, that's fine, however you guys want to do it. It's a book called Prophetic Integrity by a guy named R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall is an enigma. He's a unicorn, if you will, in his world because he is a Reformed theologian who is also a charismatic. And those two things do not typically cross over. You, know, you may not know what any of those words mean, just trust me. It's an enigma. And um, I bought this book back in May, and I hadn't started reading it, and a friend of mine called me and said, have you read this book yet? And I said, no, it's been sitting on my desk since May. Should I start reading it soon? I have a long list of books to get through, okay? Yoli will send me a video. Hey, will you watch this and see what you think? Two and a half hours long. Jared sent me one five and a half hours long. It takes a while to get through this stuff, okay? 20-minute bites, that's what we like. But anyway... Theologically, we may not agree with everything that he says, but he's got some great points on what was going on here. And we need to have discernment, more so now than probably ever, of what's going on. We can't just believe somebody that says, thus saith the Lord. I thought he did a fabulous job in this book, so much so, and I think there's been some correction that's been brought. Um, because some of these prophets that said, I missed it, amen. God's good. Many of them didn't. Many of them doubled down. Many of them just dug in their heels. No, they're stretching it, whatever the case may be. But there's a lot of things that are going on here. I believe we're going to see a move of God. I believe we're going to see a mighty move of God. What that looks like exactly, I don't know. doesn't mean that there are going to be people flying in from all over the world to come here. But maybe it could. Why not? But the bottom line here is, is, is revival starts in our hearts. It starts with the recognition of who we are in relationship to God. That we are the presence of God. That we are His hands and feet. When I lay my hands on somebody, it's Jesus laying His hands on him. But we have to be scripturally accurate. I'll never forget at Raymond when Kenneth Hagin said that there's a time coming where you're going to stop seeing the manifestation of the Spirit and we're going to get back to the Word because so many churches had gotten completely out of balance. And I remember um, even when I came here as I was praying, Lord, what do we need to do? What's next? And all of that. He said, teach the Word. And that was it. And that was hard for me. Not teaching part, but just teaching. Just teach the Word. And so a foundation now has been laid, and it is time that we will begin to see the manifestation. Not the flaky, not the fleshly. We're going to see lives transformed and changed. We're going to see healings take place. We're going to see people crying out at the altar, begging for forgiveness. And God is going to meet them right where they are. But it starts with us. Because revival isn't here, it's here. It's where you work. It's where you go. It's when you have coffee at the coffee shop. It's where every place that you are, the power and presence of God is with you. People don't come here to find it. That's what they used to do. New covenant, you took it with you. Now use it. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people chosen by God. Let's start acting like this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word Lord we thank you that your spirit is going to move move in a mighty way in a way that we can't even begin to imagine because we want to see lives transformed that we will no longer be selfish and that it be about us but it will be about those who are perishing and dying and falling away Lord Father I just pray that you prick our hearts so that we can come into an agreement with who you are and who you called us to be. Lord, that you would be glorified in everything that we do. Every word that we speak brings glory to you. That as we go about our 
daily lives, that we are aware of your presence because you are with us all the time. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us the boldness to step out and act like the vessels of God. We give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Make sure you grab one of these books. Please, please, please. I got 20 copies. I'll get more if I need to.